the songs we've been singing, aren't they great? I mean, I just, we're, gonna, we're talking about being partners in the gospel. It's good news. I just felt as we were singing, it, it is, it's good news. It's a shame we call it gospel because, you know, I mean, it's good news, isn't it? It's good news. And it's, and it's good news every day. It was good news the first time you ever heard it and realized that this was true. And every day it's good news. Still, for every situation we're going through, what Jesus has done on the cross and the life that he gives to us is good news for every situation. And we're going to continue to uh, look at that this afternoon. We're going to um, look at um, Philippians chapter 1 from verse 12. We'll read it through in a moment. But as we move on in this letter that Paul sent to the church in Philippi, we see something of a transition from him talking about his recipients, the people that he's writing the letter to. He he, he, he moves on and starts talking about himself. Um, um, So in this second half of the first chapter... And it's not as a, a boast about himself. It's not, um, he's not talking about what he has achieved just to impress people. But he wants, he wants to testify. He wants to be a witness. He wants to tell these people, this is what God has done in my life. And the reason I'm telling you that God has done this in my life is so that you will know that he can do it in your life too. It's, it's something that he wants to pass on to the others. That's the point of his writing these things to the believers in Philippi. He's in effect saying, these are some of the lessons I've learned over the years since I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I want to tell you about how in every circumstance and situation that I've experienced, God has been with me. I've learned wisdom through joy and pain. And I want you to benefit from those lessons and see how you can apply them to your own lives. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do with these words as we look at them. He wants us to hear Paul's experience and to know that this is exactly what God wants to do in our lives too. So, I'm going to read the whole bit now from verse 12 down. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, 
not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Thank God for his word. So here in verse 12 then, he, he briefly mentions his past. And then in verses 13 and 14, he talks about his present situation. And then... The remainder of the chapter, um, he, there he concentrates on his future prospects. So I'm going to take those three things as we go through these verses together. So verse 12 then, he, his past experiences. We saw last week the depth of love that Paul and the Philippians shared for each other. And we see here the fact that they had obviously heard of this, of his situation in Rome. Acts 28, if you want to take the time to read that sometime, describes what happened to Paul when he eventually arrived in Rome and that he was um, put in uh, sort of house, under house arrest um, and that's where he stayed for a number of years. Um, and when the Philippian Christians heard about this, heard about what had happened to him and where he was, they were concerned for his welfare as a measure of their love for him that we heard about last week. 
So Paul wants to reassure them that he's okay and that there is more to his situation than might appear on the surface. He says in verse 12, what has happened to me has really served to advance, to advance the gospel. Now the Philippians could have concluded the opposite uh, to that, that his arrest and his imprisonment had brought an end to his ministry. Well, now he's locked away somewhere. He can't, can't do the stuff that he was doing before. But Paul is saying that it's quite to the contrary. They might be saying, really? And in verse 12, he says, really? Really? This is advancing the gospel. Referring to his past experiences, throughout the 10 years since the church in Philippi was started, he's traveled extensively across Asia Minor, uh, preaching the gospel and planting churches. Right up until the time that he was taken from Jerusalem to Rome in order to stand trial there. He doesn't go into a lot of detail here about his past experiences, but we do get an insight um, into his life from other letters that he wrote. I won't read it all, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 21 to 28, he mentions imprisonments, beatings, being near death at times, being whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, put in danger of all sorts, and it's this that he has in mind when he says um, in verse 12 that all this has really served to advance the gospel. It's an amazing thing that he could look back over his past and some of the rough stuff that he had to endure. But he says all of that was for a reason. All of that was there in order to make me who I am and open up the opportunities to share the gospel in, in those places and to see the church built and established in those places. Paul says that he can see, although his experiences have often been at best uncomfortable and at worst painful, the life that he's lived has resulted in the conversion and salvation of multitudes of people in all sorts of situations. And for him, this is more important than anything else in his life. He is, after all, as he said back in verse 1 of this chapter, he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Do you know, it's always worth reminding ourselves that there's a spiritual dimension to our lives. Constantly. Um, we, we first became aware of that probably the day that we asked Jesus to come into our lives or we were saved. And there have been moments, haven't there, when during our walk with him, when we become aware of that sort of spiritual dimension. But the fact is that it, it's always there, every day. There's one of that, I can't remember, there's a song that we sometimes sing where it says, even when, was it even when, 
<laughs> even when I can't see it, you're working. Something like that, isn't it? Or even when I can't feel it, you're working. And that's the fact. Paul could look back over. I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure that he wasn't always sort of hopping up and down with joy. There would have been times, you know, you, you can imagine the pain that he went through and the questions that he had in his head at times. But as he looks back over it, he can say, you were working. You were at work, God. You were shaping me. You were using those things to teach me lessons. So it's always us, it's always good for us to remind ourselves of that spiritual dimension in our lives. God is doing something more than the physical. I'm sure you, the guys in the, the crutches group within the church will know that. You know, that it, there's something more than just the physical stuff going on. And, uh, and often we, we say that, don't we? When, when we're going through a difficult time, we ask each other things like, what do you think God's teaching you through this? Um, well, like, don't run into the curb with your bike is sort of one of the lessons. But, but there are probably other lessons, you know, probably more profound than that, you know. Um, probably, you know, things... I'm sure that James and AJ and others that have suffered in perhaps not such visible ways, of those during that time, God is teaching me stuff. And actually, at this moment, you may not know what that is. But like with Paul, he could look back. Most of the lessons we've learned, we've learned as we look back. And we think, oh, I can see what God was doing there. I can see what God was teaching me. I can remember... Um, I've, I've been a Christian for 50-something years, and so I have a number of things I could tell you about. I don't really want to go into that, but you know, I, there have been times. The time you know, I had cancer, and I was told you know, I've got to have surgery and treatment for that, and, the, and then I've had some other stuff. I've, I've, had, I've had my money's worth out of the NHS over the past 10 years or so, but during, I, at the time that, I, that it happened or I was told about it, the only thing I could do in my relationship with God was, I want, I want to walk through this with you, Lord. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how this is going to work out. But I want you to be a part of it. I don't want this to separate us in any way. I want to learn whatever I can learn about you and about me. And not just for my own benefit, but that I can, I can share something of that with other people, which is exactly what Paul is doing here. I, I read a quote recently where an older man was saying to a younger man, no moment will ever again be like this. Let there be something for Jesus in it. I think, I think I'd like to share that with you. So maybe going through a, a difficult time, a challenging time, just to say that there'll never be a moment quite like this again. Let there be something for Jesus in this. 
So that was his reference to his past experiences. Let's move on then to what was his present situation. In verses 13 and 14, so that it has become known, he says, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So having been arrested and brought now from Jerusalem to Rome, Paul can see that everything that has led to his present situation has been good for the advancement of the gospel. And the same is true of his present situation. His presence there in Rome and the reason for his being there is providing opportunities for others to hear the good news about Jesus. He's in chains. Um, he, whether he's chained to his guards, which is, which is highly probable, or he could be chained to something in the house, but he was under arrest. He was in prison. He, was, he wasn't in a prison, but he was imprisoned. It means, so under house arrest, he couldn't leave the house, he couldn't go out and about, he could receive guests. You read that in um, Acts chapter 28. But he's got his guards with him. And um, although he may be chained to his guards, his guards are chained to him. And... Um, it's, it's not hard to imagine what it must be like being chained to a zealous evangelist. Those guards could not avoid being told about Jesus every day. Every time they came on for their shift, they'd hear about Jesus. Every time he had visitors, they'd hear about Jesus. They couldn't get away from it. And so we read um, it, that, that the, the whole imperial guard have learned the reason that he's there, because he's told them, this is for Christ. I'm here because of Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. You know, no, no hesitance there from him. And we read later on in this letter, in fact, the last verse of this letter, it says, no, the last, verse but, the last verse but one, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So not only did it get amongst the guards, but somehow it got from them into the household, the, perhaps the servants and maybe even higher up um, had heard about Jesus and Paul could see this and he was so thrilled that this was what was happening so in addition to this it says his presence there in Rome has encouraged the other believers in the city to speak up about their faith having an enthusiastic evangelist and apostle around 
has moved others to be bold in witnessing of their love for Jesus. Have you ever listened to someone who's um, worked as an evangelist or had, had one amongst you? And somehow their, their boldness and their grasp of the wonder of the gospel so impacts you that you feel somehow emboldened or empowered to do a bit of that yourself. Well, if he can do it, why can't I? If they can so easily turn a conversation into talking about Jesus, how come, well, maybe I could do that? And of course, any evangelist worth his salt would actually be very ready to tell you how to do it, how to um, turn a conversation around to talking about Jesus. It's amazing how that can happen. So Paul was doing that, and others were hearing about what he was doing and thinking, this is great. You know, this, is, this, this, is, this word is getting out. This message is getting out. It's touching the guards. It's touching others. We should be doing this as well. So always remember, I guess, that whenever we, whenever we are talking, when we are talking to others about the Lord Jesus, the good news about him, that it always is an encouragement to others to do the same. And then he moves on from talking about his present situation to talking about his future prospects from verses 15 to the end of the chapter. It's impossible to read this letter without getting a clear appreciation of the courage of this man. If I had to give a title to this chapter, at least I think I I would choose man of courage, man of faith. He was courageous. And his understanding of life was totally absorbed by his faith in Jesus. Everything comes back to this. Everything in his life comes back to this. His love for Jesus and the fact that he's here to serve him. His past, his present, and what is going to happen to him in the future. And we see this as we proceed through the remainder of this chapter. Everything is seen through a God perspective. Um, And I just want to take his view of the future sort of topic by topic as we go through it. So so, um, the first one is in verses 15 to 18, where he talks about the motive that people have for testifying or preaching. So um, let's, let's just look at those words. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that 
I rejoice. So it seems that all was not rosy in the church in Rome. Uh, from his position in imprisonment, Paul could see encouraging signs, but also elements for concern. There seems to have been two groups. Uh, those who supported Paul and loved him, which was something that spurred them on to be like him in courageously sharing their faith with others. But there were also those who took a different attitude towards him. We're not told precisely what the issue was, except that these people were motivated by some sort of selfish ambition and envy, and yet at the same time, they preached the gospel accurately. Paul's sadness was that this sort of division undermined the heart of the gospel, as their behavior and attitude didn't represent the message. He was glad that it, the gospel was being preached, but he could see that this disharmony within the wider community of believers worked against the truth and consequently hampered the growth of the church in that city. We need to note that in all this, Paul sets a good example by not dwelling on the problem nor spending time slandering those individuals that, are, that disagreed with him. Sometimes there's great grace in silence um, and great wisdom too. Sort of taking the Prince William approach. When you're being slandered, just say nothing. Which is what it seems... I know Paul never met Prince William, but... Um, it was, it was the line that he had decided to take. He wasn't going to spend time writing about sort of negative stuff about these people except to say that their motive is wrong, but they're preaching the gospel. So clearly we know what his motive was because of his love for Jesus. And we know the motive of the ones that were for him had the same motivation. We're not quite sure what the others were playing at. Secondly, he shows courage in suffering. So verse 19, or halfway through 18, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." Paul's overriding objective in life was to see God glorified. We've sung that in our songs already today. That's, we've said that's what we want, more than anything else, for him to be glorified, 
through the things we say and the way we live. He wasn't so much worried about what people thought about him, but he was concerned that through every aspect of his life, something of God would be seen and people would be attracted to Jesus. So although this chapter is all about Paul, he wanted it all to be all about Jesus. We see this halfway through verse 18 where he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. This is the thing that drives him. This is the thing that is most important to him. He can see beyond the immediate issue and see that there are things going on in and through his life that are clearly the work of God. How amazing. Here I am in prison, locked in this house, and I'm seeing people coming to know Jesus. And I'm hearing of others in other places coming to know Jesus. He's glad of the prayers of the Philippian church. He sees a direct link between their prayers way over in Greece and his life there in Rome, some hundreds of miles away. I tried to find out on Google how far it is from, um, from uh, Macedonia to, um, to Rome. And it usually just tells you how far by plane. So that wasn't any help to me. But if you went by land, it was a lot further. So, <laughs> so he sees a direct link between the prayers of these people, these people that he hasn't seen for a long time, but they're praying for him. He sees a, a link between their praying and what was happening to him there. I think that's worth keeping in mind when you and I pray for people who are far away, people that have gone to another place or are in another place to share the gospel with others. We need to understand that Actually, our praying makes an impact on what's going on there. It really does. So it's worth doing that. I guess maybe when we meet on Wednesday evening, we'll, we'll at some point be praying for people who are far away from here. And that we need the faith to believe and to know that what we're doing there and agreeing together there is actually making an impact upon the lives of those people there. We have some friends in the Far East who um, are in a place that I'm not allowed to mention, but they're in a place where um, it's illegal to do what they're doing or being Christians there. And we pray for them. Julie and I pray for them every day. And we're, we're not always clear as to what to pray. We end up saying, Lord, bless them whatever that means for them, where they are. We have to do that. But I believe it makes a difference to them. In fact, in fact I, I sent them a message last week, and they wrote back saying, your praying is so valuable to us. We should remember that, particularly the people that, to whom we have said, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Make sure you do. So, um, so he's glad of their prayers. We, we need to remind ourselves of that, the importance of prayer. 
The prayers of the Philippian believers linked with the spirit of Jesus have an immediate effect on Paul. He says that his hope and intention is that in no way will he be ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel, not deterred from talking about it, regardless of what's happening to him. So there's no point in his life where things got tough for him, where he thought, do you know, I don't think it's worth it, this. I think, you know, I think I've done my bit. I'm not going to do any more, because it just seems to get me into trouble. I end up in all sorts of painful situations. But he says, no, I'll never be ashamed. I'll never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. I'll never be ashamed of him. What a challenge that is, I think, for all of us. Not ashamed when he's called to give an account of himself, either before the human court that he's going to face in Rome or before the the throne of God eventually. I don't ever want to be ashamed. I don't want ever to be found lacking in my obedience to God in sharing the good news about Jesus. So he then writes some words that have rung true for many Christians down through the centuries. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can see the two things, and he talks about it, doesn't he? He talks about what, what, whatever happens, God's with me. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's taking a broad overview of his past, his present, and his future, and he's saying whatever happens, it's in God's hands. A few weeks ago, I asked the elders here if they would pray for me over some medical thing that I was facing. And I remember James actually saying um, during that prayer time, I believe God is saying, I've got this. Do you know, that just those three words stuck with me through the next few weeks while I was waiting for the results of some tests. But I thought, that's, that's lovely. Thank you, Lord. But you're saying to me, I've got this. And that was Paul's experience. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't, don't matter. Whatever happens, I've got this. I've got this. And I'd just like to pass that word on to anybody here who's going through some sort of difficult situation that you're working through. You need to hear God saying to you, I've got this. I've got this. I know you. I know where you live. I know the number on your door, if you've got a number. I know where you live. I know your circumstances. I know what's happening. I've got this. Because you're going through a difficult time, a challenging time, it doesn't mean that he's walked away from you. He's got his hand on you. Uh, I've got this. And this takes him and us on to verses 22 and 23 where he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. Well, you can imagine him sitting in his house, having been you know, an inveterate, inveterate traveler all his life, going around, preaching the gospel wherever, and now he's stuck 
in this house and he can't get out. You can imagine him thinking, do you know, Lord, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to come to you. That would be far better than what I'm going through at the moment. But, he says, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, as he addresses the church in Philippi. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul takes an honest look at the possibilities of what may be the outcome for him there in Rome. He takes a sober look at what this might mean for him. I referred a while back just about being told that I had cancer. And um, what do you do when you're told something like that? It was interesting that... um, I had to go for some, the results of some tests. And uh, Tom, my son-in-law, was with me on the day. And we, we went into this place, and I was taken off. And then the, the nurse sat me down and said, so, you've got cancer. Um, and then I, I, I really didn't think she was going to say that. I, thought, I didn't think she was going to say that at all. So that was a bit of a shock. So the next few minutes were... I was sort of numb, but I was listening to what she was saying, and we finished up having a laugh, really, together. I think because I said what I said earlier, things like, I'm, I'm getting my money's worth out of the NHS at the moment. And uh, as I walked out of her door, she and I were laughing. So Tom, who was out in the waiting room, thought, oh, well, it's good news then. So when we walked out and went into the lift, I just said to him, I've got cancer, Tom. <laughs> and I know he said to... Rachel, um, later on, I didn't know what to say to him. I just didn't know what to say. Well, neither did I. (laughs) And I remember probably the next day going for a walk in woods near where we lived, and I was walking through and just saying, Lord, so, what's this all about? I don't know what this means. What? So... Am I going to die? If I die, okay. I know that that's okay because I'm going to be with you. But if I am going to die, how am I going to... What about my family? What's going to happen with them? And what's this going to be like? Is it going to be painful, Lord? I, I had no idea what, what was coming on. But I always feel that when you're faced with a situation like that, it's like you know, you're walking into a dark room and you you in a completely dark room and you don't know how big is this room you know what's it like and your first reaction if you were if if that happened to you would be to put your hand out and put out to the furthest extreme to find out just just where you are and where what my my situation is i think it's like that sometimes when we're faced with this sort of situation where I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. But let, hold on. Let me just think. What's, what's the worst thing that can happen? I could die. Okay. So now I know where I am. You know. So for Paul, he's saying, well, for me, to live is Christ. But to die, it would be gain. It would be 
it'll be all right to be with Jesus. I can, I can look forward to that. So he knows that if he's spared, he'll continue doing what he's been doing ever since he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He will continue to preach and teach about Jesus, and that, he is sure, will bear fruit in terms of people being brought to faith and God being glorified. So he he thought, well, okay, to be with Jesus would be great, but actually I think I need to be here. On the other hand, if he dies, he's comforted and assured that he'll see Jesus again. You know, sometimes we say that, if I die... I remember, I remember sitting in um, um, a, a coffee shop uh, um, sometime in the last few years, and I was sat, sat in a coffee shop, and I was on my own, but there was a group of people sat at a table near me, and they were chattering away, and I was listening into their conversation. <laughs> um, and um, they were an older couple, I mean, older than me even, and uh, this... <laughs> They were talking about their financial situation, about insurances and things like that. And they, there was this man, he was really sort of talking a lot to this other couple. And he was saying, I heard him say a number of times, well, if I die, she'll be all right. You know, if I die, and I kept wanting to go over to him and say, not if, when. <laughs> and I think that's how it was with Paul. It, it's not... And for all of us, it's not if I die, it's when I die, because we will, unless Jesus returns in the meantime. We all need those sort of reality checks, don't we, at times? You know, this, it's not going to be like this forever. You know, one day we're going to go to be with Jesus, or our life here is going to end. It is going to. I remember being frightened of that when I was a boy. I used to... I used to lay in bed thinking, what? this little voice in my head saying, one day you're going to die. No, one day you're going to die. You are going to die, and you're going to be there when it happens. You know? And that used to terrify me. I remember when I came to know Jesus, I could, I could go through the process of, well, Jesus lived, and he died, and he rose again, and then he ascended so he must be somewhere, because he didn't, he didn't die again, so he must be somewhere. So that's all right. And he has said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Fine. That's that one settled. A nice reality check from time to time. Then Paul moves on. How are we doing? Oh, okay. <laughs> he talks about, in verses 24 to 26... He talks about having confidence in life. So he's thought about death. He's now thinking about life. Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So having looked at the two possibilities, he concludes that it would be of more benefit to the believers in Philippi if he remained alive. 
for then he would, if he was released, get to see them again and continue his partnership in the gospel with them. Joy is a continuing theme throughout this letter. Um, We'll see it again and again, I'm sure, as we go through. Paul is in no doubt that real joy can only be had by knowing Jesus. Paul's joy, regardless of his circumstances, is in knowing that he's serving Jesus. And that joy is increased by the fact that he has witnessed others coming into that same relationship. There's no greater joy than seeing someone come to know Jesus. For no greater joy to either be, to be part of the process for someone, either for praying for them or talking to them or being part of a group that's talking to people about Jesus. There's no, there's no greater joy than seeing someone come to faith in him and their life being gradually transformed. And then the last bit then, I'll finish now. Um, The last bit, uh, from 27 to 30, and Owen's going to refer to this as well next week, I think. That's a bit of prophecy there. Um, So from verse 27 down, he, he turns to them and says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. An example for others. I said earlier on, I I would call this chapter a sort of man of courage, man of faith, because I think we cannot fail to be struck by Paul's courage, given his past experiences, his present situation, and his future prospects. When his friends in Philippi read this letter, we can imagine them being encouraged and spurred on in their witness and service. Paul is a true disciple-maker. He not only preaches the truth, he sets an example uh, of courage and faith by the way he lives and the attitude he adopts, whatever happens to him. So he can now, in the last few verses of this chapter, turn to his readers and say, what you see in me, do also. Stand together, stand firm. Contend strongly for the true faith. Don't let anything or anyone fill you with fear. It seems from what he says in the final verses of this chapter that the Christians in Philippi are themselves coming under attack because of their faith. You remember his experience in Philippi wasn't all that pleasant. I mean, it was great seeing the church, uh, seeing the church established there. But it was because, well, at least it was part of the process of that happening was that he and Silas were put in prison. They went through an earthquake. They were, there was persecution against them. And I imagine Philippi didn't change that much. I mean, they've got church now, 
but it didn't change that much. I imagine the Christians in Philippi were still facing opposition after Paul had left there. I doubt that things got any better as they continued to challenge the culture and the lifestyle of the inhabitants of that city. Life was, no doubt, tough for them. But in Paul, they have a great example to follow and imitate. That's exactly why he's saying the things that he said in the passage that we've looked at this evening. He's saying that, I'm going to tell you about what I've learned. I'm going to tell you something about my walk with God and the way that he's got his hand on me and the way that he's helped me. But I'm not, I'm not telling you it so that you think what a, great, what a great bloke I am. I want you to see what's happened. I want you to see this as an example. And then I'd like you to apply that in your own walk with God, your own relationship with Jesus. Don't, don't just... Paul saying this, don't just look at me, look at me as a reflection of what he is doing in my life and know that you can know him too and that he can help you through your difficulties in the same way that he has helped me. I'm going to finish there. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the gospel is good news. We thank you for this, this man, Paul, and for what you did in his life. And we're so grateful, Lord, that in his letters, inspired by your spirit, he, he wrote down his experiences. And he was able to share that with others and with us, what it is to be living for you, walking with you, having you in control of our lives, Lord. I thank you that that's true for us here today, 2,000 years later. I thank you so much, Lord, that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that whatever we go through, whatever we're going through, you never leave us or forsake us, Lord, that you walk with us. I thank you, Lord, that you are able to comfort us, you're able to Lord, equip us. You're able to give us wisdom, Lord, to help us through every situation that we come across, even what we're going through today. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And I pray, Father, that if, if any, for anybody that this, this sort of rings true, I pray, Lord, that they would hear those words again from you. I've got this. I'm with you. Um, and I pray, Lord, that each of us will know that, 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 that wonderful strength that comes from knowing that you're there, that you're with us, you're in control. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.